0: In my younger days, uh, when I was a youth pastor long, long ago, uh, I did a four-week series called Supernatural, where I drew upon uh, these archetypes uh, and connecting them to Christianity, to following Jesus, saying that, hey, like we're supposed to be like monsters, like Frankenstein, rejected. We're supposed to be like uh, the walking dead, like zombies, uh, animated to new life from the dead. And we're supposed to be like vampires, we're supposed to drink the blood of Jesus, and people who don't drink the blood of the new covenant have no part in the kingdom. And we're supposed to be like werewolves, transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's something about metamorphosis, transformation, that is intrinsic and connected to the the, uh, path of following Jesus. And let me tell you, parents got mad at me. They said to me in droves, what are you teaching our children? Now this story of God at work throughout human history, the Bible, it also features some supernatural and dark stories. When we get to, uh, ezekiel 37 ezekiel is this prophet uh, who's brought into kind of a dreamlike place that we might see and maybe stranger things it's a valley full of bones brittle old dry bones and god asks ezekiel can these bones live now you and i might like- likely answer differently uh, we might say no they're very much dead that seems pretty obvious god uh, but ezekiel answers uh, this he says lord god Only you know. And the story goes on. The spirit breathes on these dry bones, and the result is a kind of regeneration that we might see in zombie flicks. Uh, The dead come back to life and walk. So we're looking at this, uh, this disruptive spirit series. And last week we began uh, to look at Acts 2 with the story of Pentecost. Uh, the spirit shows up as breath and violent wind and as a kind of holy disruption in the church and in our community and in our lives. And today we continue in Acts 2 looking at how the spirit works in disrupting a culture of death. So uh, Acts 2, we we begin, Pentecost happens, the violent wind, the tongues of fire, the confusion, and Peter gets up and he speaks clarifying words into their disorientation. And what we see here on the screen is part of uh, Peter's first sermon. He's beginning to make sense of the work of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit and what has happened. And he, he connects it back to Jesus, that humanity killed Jesus and God raised him up. The death could not hold him and he he ends uh, the the pains of death and then we see a little later on in peter's sermon this move from crucifixion his death to resurrection that easter comes and jesus returns from the grave inaugurating the reality of resurrection for all of us it says god raised this jesus we are all witnesses of this death could not hold him And sin and death have been defeated. And yet if we're honest, we still interact with death. We see the effects of death. We find ourselves in a culture of death. I was just watching a show this week um, on Netflix. And there's a character named Father Paul who's a Catholic priest. And he says, every moment of every hour of every day, a deluge of death. So loud, how could God hear my whispered prayers over that thundering roar of death? We're surrounded by death in our newsfeed, in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our neighboring countries. So what gives? Has death been defeated or not? On the farm, my oldest has remarked recently. She said, Dad, since we moved here, we've seen a lot of death and it's only been six months. Death seems to be part of the natural course of of life that we interact with, and yet it's been defeated, has it not? We know the story of Jesus. Jesus comes and he defeats death, but more than that, he ushers in life and life abundant. But what does that really mean? I'm I'm watching the show, and one of the characters is a follower of Jesus, and the other is not. And in their conversation, they're wrestling with Uh, religion and what happens when you die. And the one character says, that's the key question driving religion. What happens when we die? And maybe we've bought into this idea that life and life abundant is really only some uh, heavenly existence after we die. Uh, That it's just, we're all just waiting for, uh, for death so we can go to heaven. But that isn't the way I've experienced Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't seem to be how the story actually reads. So we have Jesus. He comes and conquers death. Then the Spirit's given. And the Spirit is given for the continuity of the work of Jesus. The Spirit carries on the work of pointing to life amidst a world still very much reeling in despair at the intersection of death. (laughs) And then comes us. Uh, Theologian N.T. Wright refers to the big story of God in in sort of a five-act play. He says act one is creation, and act two is the fall, and act three is Israel. Act four is Jesus. And then act five comes, and it is the birth of the church and our involvement in the ongoing work of God's restoration of all things, that we as people are invited to carry on the work of Jesus in pointing toward life and disrupting this culture of death we find ourselves in. And while eternity is in view, it's not the only thing we think of when we're talking about death to reduce the abundant life of Jesus to what happens to us when we die is to miss so much of the message that it really does reduce the invitation of our involvement we as the people of God are invited into this disrupting work of the spirit when it comes to this culture of death so We come to a story in Acts 2. I want us to sit here in this story. And and it's what Jonathan Brooks, who's an author and pastor in, in the States, calls an ordinary revolution of Pentecost. We have the miraculous, the spirit comes, and then we have the ordinary, the ordinary of this community. So it says here, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. When I read this, uh, this picture, uh, this picture of a community, it's a picture of a body. And it's, I see the picture of Ezekiel. It's a valley of dry bones, this, this community that comes out of sort of an empty religion. And, and the spirit is blowing and flesh is being restored to this body. That when the spirit of God breathes on a community, begins this process of restoration in a community, it looks like this. Let's just walk through a number of the things we see here. First, they held all things in common. That after the miraculous and the wonders and the signs, uh, we enter into this mundane reality that they they held all things in common. And and one thing I know is that unity, this holding of all things, unity is a tricky thing. And when Paul talks of being of the same mind, united in thought, uh, we might laugh. We are so polarized about anything and everything. When we hear these words of having all things in common, there's a, certainly a nod to material possessions here that they sold their stuff and made sure nobody went without, everyone had the same. It was a revolution of material capital that uh, the purchasing power of some was levied so that all would have enough but also in view is this idea of unity that somehow they, they rallied around what it means to be a community and not necessarily that they all uh, thought the same thing. We're not talking about uniformity and we're talking about unity that somehow they, they rallied around uh, what was important, the centrality of Jesus in the middle, but also uh, a willingness to hear each other, to listen to each other, to be curious, to lean in when there's disagreements. Uh, And so they held all things in common. We see also that they, they, every day, this phrase every day, it shows up twice. Every day they were together. They were in each other's lives, uh, not just on Sunday, not just for a weekly worship service, but every day in public spaces and in each other's homes. Every day was worship. Every day was an opportunity to be the people of God. Every day was an opportunity to live life together in meaningful and mundane ways. Uh, I just came from a community in Windsor where we lived in the same neighborhood together all of us and, and there was th- what we would call a critical mass of intersection where uh as a community we would go to the same parks and our kids would see each other at the same schools and and we would shop at the same grocery stores and we would see each other walking our dogs there was there was life overlap that happened every day in the parish that you just don't see in other places uh, cuz we live such fractured lives independent of one another And so what does it mean for us or for that community to live life every day together, overlapping life? The third thing I noticed is that they were joyful. Uh, They ate with joy. They sang with joy. They praised God out of this abundance of their joy. Their joy was infectious. Their joy was contagious. Their joy set them apart. And then finally, we see that every day, again, every day, not just on Sundays, their community grows. Salvation was manifesting itself in their community. People were being saved. And this was a movement away from death and into life. So when we think about our culture of death, when we when we contrast that to what we're seeing in Acts 2, we see that our culture of death really hits on a number of places. It's, it's death of violence. We see global violence like the war in Ukraine. We see... Uh, violence in our in our country's history uh, with indigenous people Um, and we look at you know the the missing and murdered indigenous women and since 1980 there have been over 1100 missing or murdered indigenous women there's a history of violence in our country violence against the earth we have climate change and we're slowly or maybe quickly killing our planet violence against each other through greed, we, have, we live in this culture of violence, and, and maybe less so than other places in the world, but we certainly have violence uh, in our country and in our context and in our neighborhood. We have oppression, the death of oppression, when when justice is absent, oppression is rampant, and we see it in so many ass- uh, facets of our life. That there's racial violence, where there's a lack of justice. Uh, we we see a housing crisis and homelessness, and there's the haves and there's the have-nots. And in our own history, in our own story as a family, we went through a period of of uh, of not having. Uh, a lot, and, and I lost my job, and we found ourselves on Ontario Works and in and a bout of circumstantial poverty and going to food banks. And, and I remember that in that experience, uh, God began to, to work in me and, and soften my heart towards some of these issues around of justice. And it was heavy. There's there's a burden of uh, that poverty places on people that is heavy, uh, and it it hits you on so many different places, and every decision uh, when it comes to money is heavier and heavier. And then we have in Proverbs 20 this this phrase: "Differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both." That part of uh, the the death of oppression is that our culture is fraught with different weights and different measures for different people, of different walks of life and socioeconomic status and race. And, and, and what do we do with that? It's a culture of death. And then we have uh, the death of exclusion, that our lives are fragmented and fractured and we're so busy. We rarely have time for, for those we like, let alone those we don't like. And so our lives are measured by insiders and outsiders, us and them. And this global pandemic has certainly not helped that. Uh, It's kept us apart and widened the polarization that's between us. We have the death of apathy. And I would venture to say that these past couple of years have been some of the most joyless years of our lives. Slogging through this pandemic if we're all in the same boat, as some people would like to say, it certainly has not been a party boat. It's been a boat taking on water in a stormy sea, and it's left us feeling exhausted and empty of joy and wondering, how do we get back? How do we get our fervor back? How do we get our life back? How do we get our energy back, our passion, our enthusiasm, our joy back? And all of this leads to a kind of loneliness that permeates our culture and our lives, uh, author Betty Preese likened the creation of social media to the Tower of Babel. She said it was a tower built into the sky that was meant to give us common language. And yet instead of that, it fractured us more than we even know. And the insidious result of of connection dependent on social media is this gnawing loneliness of missing out, of comparison to one another, and of disconnection. We're surrounded by a culture of death. We live in a culture of death. Not just a spiritual death, but a death we interact with all the time. But then the spirit shows up, and we wonder how does the spirit show up as disruption to this culture of death? And it's all here in Acts, as the spirit blows a breath of restoration on these dry bones of empty religion and empty culture. The spirit points us to unity, uh, not false unity, where we exclude or cancel those we don't agree with, but a posture of unity that listens to one another and acknowledges one another. And again, unity is not the same as uniformity, but uh, we're not clones here. But we are called to carry ourselves with a posture of understanding, of listening, of leaning in when it's difficult, of asking questions, uh, of spirit-led curiosity that brings us closer to one another. Instead of leaning back, we lean in. It's a shift from competition where we need to be right to collaboration or we're co-creating a better today and tomorrow. The Spirit points us to justice, to care for each other, to sacrifice for the good of one another, to make sure our community is not one of haves and have-nots, and this means we carry each other's burdens, we eat together, we share food together, simple things like meal trains when people are in need or picnics or backyard barbecues together. And, and maybe we think, well, how do we do that within our current life? Well, we live our lives together, uh, we, we need each other. And this means we have to make time for each other throughout the week. And, and that was always part of, part of the vision of the neighbors groups, that they become smaller communities within a neighborhood Uh, within this larger community as well, where our lives intersect more than once a week, but more in the everyday. where we meet each other's needs, where we care for one another, where we have all things in common. And then there's joy. When we're together, we laugh and we share stories and we celebrate and express gratitude. And what I've discovered that I miss most is the spiritual practice of play. Play can be such an incredible contributor Of joy and maybe in the seriousness of all this transition we just stop and we laugh and we we express gratitude we share stories we celebrate and all of this 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 spirit-led disruption leads to a, a kind of loving community where people are being saved from a culture of death and welcomed into a community of love and abundant life so, God, we thank you. We thank you that this—your this, uh, this your death uh, on a cross led to uh, the defeat of death, which is now and not yet, and it's in process. And we thank you that you invite us to partner with you on that. And that part of this dimension uh, of, of confronting and disrupting a, a culture of death is is spiritual. It's, it's a movement into life and life abundant in Jesus— and part of it is the life we do together. And we thank you for this picture of a community that is, uh, that is spirit-led and disrupting of the myriad ways we see death impacting us. And so would you infuse us with life? Would you infuse us with joy? Would you bring us together into unity and harmony? Not token unity and harmony, not false, uh, but authentic ways where we lean into each other and break down the polarization that's between us, where we can move toward having all things in common. We pray that your generosity would lead us forward into this loving community of life with you. Amen.